0: Well, if you are joining us online, we want to welcome you. We're glad you're with us today. Uh, Today, we're starting a Christmas series entitled A Weary World Rejoices. And if there was ever an appropriate title for our Christmas series in 2020, I think this is it. Uh, Because man, we're just weary of this whole business of dealing with COVID and waiting for things to get better. And the question is, hey, are things ever going to change? Well, it's not just about COVID. I mean, Every now and then I have somebody that stops by and they go, I've been attending your church for a while and you've been talking about how good God is. And if God is so good, why is my life so hard? And why is the world so broken? I mean, is it always going to be this way? And inside your or, uh, handout that you received today, you'll see an outline where the title of my message is, because of Christmas, it's not always going to be this way. In fact, the message of Christmas is that God sent his son into the world to change things. And so today, we're going to be answering that age old question of if God is a God of love and he loves us so much, then why is there so much pain in the world? And what's God done about it? The short answer is sin. And uh, as to why the problem is here, and the short answer to the solution is Jesus. And you're going to hear about both of those today. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump right in. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I pray, Lord, that today we would appreciate all over again the significance of Christmas and why it matters so much that Jesus came into our world. So, Lord, I pray that you will speak and move me out of the way and remind us again how much you love us and of the wonderful hope we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, if uh, you're watching us online and you have have the app, you'll also find our outline there. If you're with us in person, I just want to remind you the first point of my outline is this, that we live in a fallen world. That's a shocker, okay? It is not, okay? We know that we live in a fallen world, but uh, I also want to remind us that it wasn't always this way. In fact, human beings were originally created by God to live in perfect fellowship with him in paradise. That's the opening page of the Bible. God is creating the world and everything is good, and the pinnacle of all of his creation Was human, were human beings, Adam and Eve. And he placed them inside of paradise, inside of the Garden of Eden, for them to take care of it and manage it. In fact, this is from Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish, in the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God said, I'm creating you in my image so I can share my love with you. I want to have a relationship with you. That's why I'm creating you, to, to have someone I can share my love with. Because God is love. And I'm going to put you in charge of all the rest of creation. And so Adam and Eve lived in a perfect environment, in a right relationship with God, right relationship with each other, having dominion over all the rest that God had made. And if you're reading that and you're going, well, that's not the way the world is now, that's true. And that brings us to point two, because sin ruined everything. And a short definition of sin is anytime we go our own way instead of going God's way. And here's how all that came about. Genesis chapter 3. Well, the serpent was the shrewdest of of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Well, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Well, the woman was convinced, and she saw the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked so delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool of the evening breezes was blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And that's how things fell. When Adam and Eve chose to do something God had forbidden them to do, the serpent was an embodiment of the devil. The devil used the serpent as a vehicle through which he could speak to the woman. And the temptation is the same sort of temptation that's given to you and me. I mean, it's so interesting the way he said this. He said, when you eat it, you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Well, that temptation had a little bit of truth in it. Because knowing good and evil, that is experiential knowledge. Um, I knew what it was like when I first started to drive. I'd heard about car accidents. And I remember I'd been driving for a year or so, and I pulled out too far under a street and a guy hit the front end of my car, I pulled out in front of him and man, I remember my neck was so stiff, I couldn't for days, I couldn't even look to the right or left. I had experiential knowledge about car accidents. That's different. That's very different and very painful. Well, the serpent was right that you'll have knowledge but the lie was that'll make you more like God. It'll make you just like him. And that was the lie. In fact, after they ate is when all the bad things started happening and they were farther away from God. In fact, they were hiding from God. If it was going to make them like God. Well, then why were they hiding from him? That's the same way temptations come in your life and in mine. Hey, this is a good thing. And you can do this. I mean, it's not illegal if you don't get caught. I mean, it's not really stealing. It's just kind of shady. And we can make all kinds of excuses about things, and we can justify ourselves. And that's every time when we start giving into temptation, it causes painful consequences. But here's a note first, the freedom to choose that made sin possible is also what makes true love possible. I mean, this is terribly important for us to understand, because every time I go over this with people about how the world fell, the natural question is, well, why didn't God just send an angel with an ax to go chop down the tree? I mean, you chop down the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They don't eat of it. We're all fine. Well, no, we're not, because the tree was placed there because God wants true love. In fact, That's the next statement you're outlining. God is love, and he values love freely given. This is what he values. And I put a rejoice statement next to that because God doesn't say, hey, I'll have a relationship with you if you have a certain IQ. Can I get a hallelujah on that? Okay, think if you had to be rich enough or smart enough or pretty enough or have accomplished enough, fast enough, you could put anything in there, well, then... Who's going to qualify? But you know what God wants? He just wants us to have love, to give him our love freely, to trust him. That's why Jesus said, here's the greatest commandment in the whole Bible. You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can sum up all the other commandments in that. What God wants is he wants our love freely given. And the only way he would know if Adam and Eve freely gave it is to give them a choice where they could freely walk away. I mean, that's what means so much to me every time I look at my wedding ring. 34 years ago, Debbie and I got married and part of our vows were forsaking all others, I cleave only to you. Forsaking all other who? Well, all the other guys she could have married and I hold her to that. (laughs) She chose me above everybody else. Think if she would have told me, well, John, nobody else is gonna ask me to get married. Might as well marry you. Happy anniversary, baby, I love you too. That doesn't amount to anything. In fact, the way that we know that love is true is when people say, I choose you above every other option. This is what we want from our kids. It's what we want from our spouses. We want want them to love and trust us. And we want to love and trust them. And isn't it wonderful? That's what it means to be made in God's image. This is what God gives us. He loves us. He wants us to freely choose him. But that's why the tree was necessary. That's why the temptation had to be offered. And sadly, Adam and Eve chose to go their own way. Now, that brings us to the next point of your outline, is that choosing sin, going our own way instead of God's way, always has painful consequences. Always. And they're not limited just to you and me. It weren't to Adam and Eve either. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. I mean, it's the same as uh, in, if you're wondering why, well, it's because God gave Adam and Eve authority over the rest of creation. If the head of a company starts embezzling funds, and then the funds run out, and there's a big lawsuit, and the company has to shut down, all the employees lose their job. That one man's sin or that one woman's sin impacts the whole company. Well, the same thing's true in a marriage or in a church or any place else. When one of us sins, all of us are impacted by it. Against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse. And that's why when we live in a fallen world where there are things that are wrong and there's crime and there's sin and there's hurricanes, and there's death. Oh, this all started in the garden. So along with sin came a whole list of other things. And let me just read to you a little bit more from Genesis 3. This isn't in your outline. But the Lord, after he had uh, been walking in the garden, he called out to the man and the woman. He said, where are you? And they said, well, we're naked. We're hiding. Well, who told you you are naked? Did you eat from the tree? It wasn't like God didn't know, but it was to let them answer. And the man blamed the woman, and the woman blamed the serpent. And then God said, that's enough. And there were curses placed upon each of them. He said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Because of sin, there's pain in the world. And because there's sin... There is marital conflict. You guys are going, this is a Christmas message because this is going south in a hurry. Yeah, I'm getting to the good part in a little bit. Hang on. (laughs) And then to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you, and all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. And by the sweat of your brow... You'll have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you'll return. Have I mean, you been to a funeral, ashes to ashes, dust to dust? That's where it comes from. I mean, that's the reason we have jobs we don't like. and That's why you can print a t-shirt that says, Work hard all your life, and then you die. Hmm. Huh. And if this is where the Bible stopped, it would not be a Merry Christmas. But it's not where the Bible stops. Because even in the garden, there was a ray of hope given to Adam and Eve. Because God not only pronounced curses on each of them, he did on the serpent as well. To the serpent, he said, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the wild animals, uh, all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And Adam and Eve clung to that. Because after those pronouncements were made, they were driven out of the garden. There was another tree at the center of the garden, the tree of life. And the Lord said, if they eat of the tree of life, then they'll live forever in this fallen world, in this fallen state. And that would be unbearable. So he drove them out of the garden. and He sent an angel with a flaming sword to guard the way back in so they could never come back. But every time Adam and Eve thought to what they had lost. And they experienced all the regret. They said, well, what did God say? He said that there would be one of their one of our offspring would come in and crush the serpent's head, and he's going to set things right again. I mean, before, a minute ago, in your outline, it says this. It reminds us, along with sin came shame and guilt and separation from God. That's why Adam and Eve were hiding. There was separation from others. That's why Adam and Eve were blaming each other. There was pain and sorrow and frustration and hardship and death because to dust they'll return, and banishment from Eden and the tree of life. All those things happened, but in the midst of it, there was one ray of hope, and they reminded each other that one day, one of their children would come who would set things right again. And if you want to have a statement that you and I can rejoice about, it's this, that God gives hope to sinners who don't deserve it when we need it the most. Can we read that out loud, please? God gives hope to sinners who don't deserve it when we need it the most. I mean, if they ever needed a ray of hope, that was it. And the ray of hope was this, is that one day things were going to be different. And now we finally get to Christmas. Because of Christmas, it's not always going to be this way. Because of what happened at Christmas. Jesus was the child promised to Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, don't miss this. They had been told that one of their offspring would come who had crushed the head of the devil. Well, that was Jesus. In fact, the prophet Micah, in Micah 5.2, this is 700 years before Jesus was born, he wrote this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among the people of Judah, Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. How far distant? Eden. This is the child promised to Eve. One of her offspring will come and he will crush the devil's head. Now, I want to stop and rejoice over this because God is always working in ways that are too wonderful for us to imagine. This was generation after generation after generation later, but back in the garden, God had already told them this child would come. This was God's plan, and he was working it. And this Christmas, I want us to rejoice because God wasn't just working in Adam and Eve's lives. He's working in our lives in ways that are too wonderful for us to even imagine. A couple of weeks ago, I got uh, an email from a guy who said, "I want you to call me because I had an interesting story to tell you." And so I called him, and he said, "Do you remember a few years back? Um, you, uh, the, I was in a car accident on the interstate on I-65 here." I went, "Oh yeah." What had happened was it was a really rainy day; uh, it was pouring down rain, and I was just getting on the ramp to go to Montgomery at exit 179 here, going down that steep hill. Well, just as I was merging onto the interstate, there was a big 18-wheeler, and right right behind it was a car. And the car had gone around the 18-wheeler, and there was so much water on the highway, and I don't think the tires were necessarily up to speed on this guy's car. But the car started to hydroplane. It spun in front of the 18-wheeler, spun in front of me, and slammed into that abutment, or the, the guardrails there on the side of the interstate. It was pouring down rain. I pulled over, and I... I ran up to the window and I knocked on the window because the airbags had deployed. I was hoping everybody was okay. And I said, are you okay? And the guy says, do you remember that? And I go, well, do I remember it? Yeah, I got in my car later. I had to dump water out of my shoes. Okay, it was was pouring. And the guy was just white as a sheet and he just looked like he was in shock. And then the trooper came along and took care of him. I was able to hand him off. And I said, man, I hope you're okay. You look like you're in shock. He goes, yeah, but it wasn't from the impact of the car. And I go, you know, and this is years later. He's telling me this a few weeks ago. and I go, what do you mean? And he goes, well, do you remember a sermon that you gave in September of 2004? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I got it just right here. No, I have no idea what I said. And he said, in September of 2004, at Fraser Methodist, you were speaking on the evils of pornography. And you would said, if this has gotten a hold in your life and the devil has tempted you to this, you need to let go of it right now. And, man, I had been into that, and he said, I heard that, and I didn't do anything about it. And so I'm wondering, well, what is the car wrecking to do this? Well, he said, after my car hit the barricade and the airbags went off and everything, I was sitting there for just a minute saying, it was obvious the Lord had spared my life. I said, Lord, is there anything you want me to surrender to you? And then John Schmidt comes knocking at the window. (laughs) Talk about the ghost of Christmas past right here. (laughs) And he goes, just wanted to let you know now, I listened to the Lord, and now I lead a small group that helps men escape pornography. Thought you might want to know. If that doesn't give you chills, it should. God was working in ways that are too wonderful for me to understand. I didn't even know he was doing any of that. God's working in your life. He's working all around us. He had in the garden a plan to redeem all of mankind. Jesus. And Jesus was a child who came at Christmas. Jesus came, this is point two on that outline, Jesus came to defeat the devil and free us from the penalty and power of sin. I hope you notice this. In Scripture, it's all over the place. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Remember, (laughs) the serpent was going to strike his heel. Jesus did die on the cross. He was in the tomb. But on the third day, he rose and crushed the devil's work crushed his head. The writer of Hebrews talks about it. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death, and only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Because of Jesus, I don't have to be afraid of dying anymore. Can I get a hallelujah on that? This is what Christmas is about. This is the child promised to Adam and Eve in the garden who would set things right and crush the devil's head. A couple of statements we can rejoice about Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and removed our guilt and shame. What's the devil's work? First of all, he tempts us to sin, and then he reminds us and condemns us over and over again about how terrible and rotten and worthless we are. And now, because of that, we are freed from all guilt and shame. 1 John 1.9, it's listed there as a reference. You can look up later. It says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, it's absolutely wonderful. Rejoice. We can also rejoice because Jesus made it possible for us to have a right relationship with God and others. That's what was changed in the garden. It's why there's always been marital conflict ever since. It's why The man and the woman were blaming each other. It's why we were hiding and running away in shame. I mean, running away from the God who placed us in this world. We run away from him. But now our sin is forgiven, and we now have the possibility to forgive others. He gives us love for people we didn't love before. He gives us the ability to pass that on and let go of past offenses. It's amazing. And we can rejoice about that. We can also rejoice because Jesus made it possible for us to have abundant life today. In John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life abundantly. He said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you in heaven. When everything's ready, I'm going to come get you. But in the meantime, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. He'll be in you. He'll change you from the inside out, the way you think, and you're going to experience rich, abundant life today. And though we live in a world With thorns and thistles, we can have joy now. We can have meaning and purpose in this world, as well as hope for the next. And Jesus has given us victory over the devil. He's given us victory over the devil. Oh, man, I could have put a bunch more references in here. But listen, I mean, these are so amazing. 1 John 4 4 reminds us that greater is he that is in you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit who's inside of you and me is stronger than the devil. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Romans 16, 20, that Christians in Rome were reminded it won't be that long till the Lord crushes the devil under your feet. James 4, 7, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And Romans 20, verse 10, reminds us that on judgment day, that Satan himself will be bound and thrown headfirst into the fires of hell, never to torment people again. This is why Jesus came to crush the head of the devil. His origins are from the distant past, Eden. Not only will he do those things, but Jesus also came to make it possible for us to go to heaven where things are restored to the way they were in Eden. Not only do we get forgiveness for our sins, not only do we have the Holy Spirit to give us the power to overcome sin, in this world and live victorious lives, we have the promise of going to heaven where there'll be no more sin ever again. I mean, this is what's so great. On those opening pages of the Bible, we find Adam and Eve sinning, and that's when shame and pain and death and toil and hardship and separation from God being cast out of Eden and being banned from the tree of life, all that happens on the first couple of pages of the Bible. Then in the middle of the Bible, you find Jesus is born. And then at the end of the Bible, in the last two pages, here's what you find. Look, God's home is now among his people, just like it was with Adam and Eve in the garden. He'll live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And it'll be just like Eden. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That's the way we were intended to live. This world is not our home. And that's why the Bible reminds us we're just aliens and strangers here. We're just passing through for a few years. God created us to live with him forever. Jesus said he's getting a place ready, and it won't be long till he comes and gets us. Mm. Then the angel, that was Revelation 21. Here's Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me a river, uh, a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And it flowed down the center of the main street of heaven. And on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. In fact, could we read that last sentence together, please? No longer will there be a curse upon anything. The tree of life, the angel isn't guarding it so we can't get to it. it grows on both sides of the street, on Main Street. Go eat all you want. Knock yourself out. We're going to live forever here in God's presence together. No more sin, no more pain, no more dying, no more shame, no more hiding, no more blaming ever again. And Jesus made that possible. This is the child that Adam and Eve longed for. Mm, If I had time to even go through all the genealogies. Adam and Eve's first son, Cain, was named Cain because it means, look, the Lord gave me a man. And Adam and Eve thought, oh, this is the one who will get us back into the garden But Cain grew up, and he became the first murderer when he killed their second son, Abel. And so they had a third son, and his name was Seth. And they named him Seth, and Eve said, God has given me another child. And maybe through this one, we'll get back in the garden. And she was right, except for a, a lot of generations in between. And if you go to the third chapter of Luke, Luke traces the genealogy of Joseph. Joseph and Mary, all the way back to Seth, because he wants us to make the connection. Jesus is the child in the garden. Christmas is a rescue mission. Jesus came to crush the head of the devil, and now we have victory over him. Jesus came to set things right again, and it won't be long till we go home and we'll be at a place just like Eden. And Jesus came to give us victory over the devil himself while we live in this world. That's why we celebrate Christmas. But there's one last life application. Well, I want to remind us of this statement too. Jesus came to reverse the curse. Preachers have to say things like that, so I wanted to throw that in there. Uh, It's catchy. One last life application: We must each choose whether or not we will surrender control of our lives to Jesus and accept His marvelous gift of salvation. See, love is still freely given. It's never changed. That's why each one of us must come to Christ on our own, and we must surrender our lives to Him. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires a drink freely from the water, who desires drink freely from the water of life. That's one of the last verses in the Bible, Revelation 22, 17. Will we come? Will we surrender our lives to him, every part of our lives, and will we trust him? Will you pray with me about that? Lord, this Christmas season, we can rejoice that things aren't always going to be this way. If there was ever a year when we need to be reminded that the world's not always going to be this way, 2020 is a great year. Lord, you came to set things right again. And this world is not our home. And Lord, if we're not too comfortable here, that's a good thing. And so God, remind us as we celebrate Christmas this year of why Jesus came. We thank you that he came to crush the head of the devil and destroy his work. The devil would love to re- tempt us to sin and then remind us how sinful and wicked and foolish we are and that God will never love us. And thanks be to Jesus, that's not true. God, we confess that we are sinners, and in and of ourselves, we deserve nothing. But because of Jesus, we are children of yours, adopted into your family, and we claim that. We thank you, Lord, that you forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you, Lord, that you give us your Holy Spirit so we can live abundant lives now. And we thank you, Lord, you're preparing a place for us in heaven, and soon we'll go home to be with you. And, Father, we'll live forever. In a world that's free of sin and pain and death, oh God, we pray that this Christmas season you would take up residence in our hearts, and there would be that every part of our lives would be surrendered to you. Lord, we thank you that you are working in our lives in ways that we cannot comprehend, and Father, whatever you need to do to get our attention, do it. Whatever you need, Lord, to remind us of how much you love us and how trustworthy you are, and that your way is always better. Do it. And this Christmas, Lord, we give our lives to you. And we thank you it's not always going to be this way. In the wonderful name of Christ, we pray. Amen.